0: Good evening Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Ammaffon. Thanks for tuning in. This week on BNN News we begin with the day that stunned our nation 21 years ago. September 11th. We take you to the State House where Massachusetts residents lost that day were remembered by friends and family Sunday.
1: Who can say for certain, Maybe you're still here I've
0: A day we will never forget. On Sunday, families and friends of the 206 Massachusetts residents killed in the September 11th attacks observed a moment of silence before reading their loved ones' names at the 21st Annual 9-11 Commemoration and Observance. At the State House's Ashburton Park, Governor Baker and Mayor Wu joined attendees for the solemn ceremony, one of many held across the nation. Although the shock of the tragic events that took the lives of nearly 3,000 U.S. citizens lives close to the surface, the resounding message to fight hate was clear.
2: Joseph Jenkins, Jr. Arthur Joseph
1: Jones, III. John Jenkins, and my lovable, funny brother who lit up our family and should be doing that today,
0: Arielle Lewis Jacobs.
1: Dennis J. Pierce, Everett Marty Proctor III, and my beautiful mom, Sonia Mercedes Morales Popolo, whose ring I'm wearing today that was found at ground zero under 1.6 million tons of rubble.
2: I think it's important that that our remembrance continues not only as I said, for the world to see and to understand that these atrocities happen. These atrocities happen because hatred is breeded, it's breeded into the young. And so, unless or until we begin to address those issues of educating our young to re- resist, reject hatred, hatred for the other. Without even understanding who the other is, um, I think that this is the most important lesson that, that can come from this. But my friend was Captain John Oganowski. He was the captain of Flight 11. He was a great American. He was a Vietnam cargo pilot. And uh, it was my privilege to be his, his co-pilot. I served with him for 10 years in a cockpit and got to know him really well. And uh, the, the main thing we should think about today is to never forget to do with the Mass 9-11 fund and. To have this formal recognition of his loss, that's the most important thing to me.
0: We move now to Matapan, where residents engaged in all things health for the inaugural Care in the Square this past weekend. President and CEO Guale Valdez and his staff had plenty to celebrate at the first annual Care in the Square health screening at the Mattapan Community Health Center. On Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., Mattapan residents turned out in full force for comprehensive health screenings. Representatives from a variety of health organizations were present to give guidance and answer resident questions concerning themselves and their children. Proving health is truly the first wealth. This is our first Care in the Square. It is Mattapan Community Health Center being involved in our community and offering some much-needed services at a place in a time that is convenient. We're offering screenings. We're offering testing. We're offering vaccinations, which are still critical to the health and well-being of the community that we serve. It is so important to bring people who live in Mattapan together, and this is also about children as they head back to school, to do everything that we can to keep them safe. Events like this are, are really wonderful because um, they, they kind of show the importance of preventative care, which uh, um, you know, it makes it easier for people to learn about how to you know, take care of their teeth or take care of their medical issues, their diet, um, and it can prevent a lot of serious consequences later on. Also, community events like this, they, they sort of build interactions between, uh, between people. And I think that's really strong for finding support and finding camaraderie uh, with the, the people who you live with.
3: It's a big family day event at Marapan Community Health Center where families can gather together, meet other people, but also have access to all uh, health resources, such as a diabetes check, all the routine exams, blood pressure, cholesterol, but also having their children uh, receiving some dental, uh, cleaning dental services. This is a one-stop shopping for the families, and it makes it so convenient for them to have access to all the resources.
0: Meanwhile at Grove Hall, all ages were welcomed for an afternoon of creativity and community. Back to school and back to fun. The Grove Hall in Color event, hosted by MassArt Spark, the Artmobile and friends, brought together residents of all ages for an intergenerational celebration. Saturday afternoon featured games, painting, and t-shirt designing, as well as healing demos in the wellness tent food, good music, and local art vendors were in plentiful supply to complete good vibes. The program that I um, work with in the Suffolk DA's office in CAC is about online safety, and it's so important to us to come and meet young people in the community here in Grove Hall and talk to them, get to know them about uh, being safe online and learn from them as well. And we just love being out in the neighborhoods, talking to youth before something goes wrong. This is all about prevention, and we're really grateful to meet the kids before they get back to school or right as they're getting back to school to think about being safe online. We're here in collaboration with many community artists, uh, community organizations, to uplift and support learners of all ages in the Roxbury-Dorchester area We believe that our education doesn't just edify us individually, but the whole community So we're here with resources, with creativity. We have uh, lots of arts and healing practitioners here as well to teach us how to relax, how to meditate, and how to get through life with our mental health intact. So it's just a beautiful celebration of all that we have here in this community and sharing our resources with one another. The importance of a day like this is it connects, first of all, it connects the college with our community. It helps kids to see what art and design can do in shaping their lives and creating a pathway to the future. And it's wonderful to bring the community together on a day like this as we're heading back to school. It's an energizing time. It's a hopeful time. We have a lot of work to do, but these kids are are our future. Next, we make way for the kindergartners, the newest class to start their BPS journey on Monday. With their backpacks strapped on and their parents in tow, kindergartners across Boston started their first day of school on Monday. At the Joseph Lee School in Dorchester, the new scholars fit right in with their K through eight schoolmates. A truly formative period in development, kindergarten is a time for learning independence, socializing and making new friends, and foundational literacy and counting skills. For young people who have spent half their lives in isolation due to the pandemic, this first day, is a fresh start I think we're all excited for a new year you know new year comes with new things excitement just um, meeting students getting to see where they are what kind of academic goals that we can reach for them what kind of social goals um, given the last two years everyone has um, some things that they're excited to catch up on and um, we're just excited to meet the children meet them where they are and see how much we can help them grow in progress I think what's most exciting for me is all of the hard work that the district has been doing over a number of years of making sure that every single one of our kindergarten seats in particular are of the highest quality. There's a great curriculum, a lot of training and support for the teachers as well as all other kinds of supports for families with our social workers, school liaisons, and others. So we really want to start kids off on the right foot for a
2: strong start.
3: Our system has always understood that relationships matter. and We've wanted to continue to build really strong uh, and important relationships with our students and with our families. And the system has invested in really important positions to do that. Things like family liaisons, social workers, school psychologists. These are, these are educators that can help work with our school community to make sure that the culture and climate is meeting the needs of our students uh, and is prepared each and every day for all of our students across BPS.
0: Tonight for BNN News interviews, we sit down with two lifelong Boston residents dedicated to the success of urban youth. Manny Allen is the Re-Engagement Center Director at Boston Public Schools, a full-service center that actively recovers students who have left school. For the past 17 years, he's worked to create programming and pathways for a variety of populations, ranging from homeless youth to first year college students. Angie Encarnacion works with Boston Private Industry Council as the re-engagement center manager. A product of the BPS system, Angie earned her bachelor's in social work from Wheelock College, all while being a single mother. I had the chance to discuss their critical work at the re-engagement center. Here's the interview. Angie, uh, to get us started last week, you did the work of knocking on doors of student homes who have dropped out or who have been chronically absent for the launch of school. Uh, can you take us through the, the operating process of um, an event like that and how the reengagement center identifies student and supplies the support that they need to come back to school?
1: Yeah, so the reengagement center, what we do is we work in a partnership with the Office of Opportunity Youth in Boston Public Schools and they are the ones who really um, are in charge of attendance for Boston Public Schools. So how many students are chronically absent, we get all that information from them. And what we do from that list is we target specific students who were actually absent a lot of, of the school year. Um, we focus specifically on students that were absent more than 50% hmm. and up from the school year. Um, and then from the reengagement center for the dropout students, we get the list from Boston Public Schools as well, um, and we use that list um, to figure out how many students we were going to be reaching out to for that event as well.
0: All right, and a couple of statistics. Uh, This is from the Boston Public Schools. There's actually been an increase in chronic absenteeism from 21% to 26% uh, from before the pandemic to after the pandemic. And at least 2,900 high school juniors and seniors have been chronically absent from September to December 2021. And they found in uh, this study that of the students who are chronically late or drop out. A majority of them are African-American students, Mm -hmm. they're Latino, uh, they have, they are individuals with disabilities uh, or they're first time English learners. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about why the pandemic has had such a negative effect on students and why these groups of students are impacted the hardest?
2: The pandemic has had a hard effect on everyone. Um, and I think students are really secondary to parents in terms of how, like, when the parents are struggling, the students struggle. And and, and to be honest, just speaking as a, a, a BPS parent, as well as uh, someone who works at the BPS and someone who's gone through the pandemic, you know, it's, it's one of the things we're we're trying to we're trying very hard to get past and move on, but, but a lot of people, a lot of students are still affected. And we hear our students talk about uh, sort of lingering effects from the pandemic. Um, you know, a lot of people died, a lot of people were sick, a lot of people were displaced, a lot of people lost jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and, are, and are still struggling for those reasons. So naturally our students report the same. Um, and, and again, I, I, think, I think we're resilient and they're working their way back, but it's hard for all of us, right? And we're about a year out. Um, I, we're virtually a year out of uh, where we was, right. but um, but again for our for our students who kind of judge time and are affected differently than even adults um, they're not they're still working their way out.
0: Absolutely and Manny, you yourself, you have a very personal uh, connection to the work that you do at the reengagement center. Uh, you yourself experienced dropping out of high school. Um, can you talk a little bit more about your education journey and how your experience has Influenced your approach at the rec center,
2: right? So, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I was, I was always, well, I wouldn't say I was always a good, okay student, but I, I always found work easy to do. But I wasn't always a student. Um, and when I got, when I turned about seventeen, I started to feel like I was an adult. Um, I should probably say that I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest of seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up really poor. I was basically, uh, you can say I was a man of the house. So I. I I started to kind of look towards adulthood early, and I thought there was no kids in school and I thought I was a man, so I decided to pursue adulthood and manhood um, outside of school. Right, school was not part of a manhood, at least my, it was my first thought. Mm-hmm. But as I was out trying to live, I quickly learned, um, I learned a lot of lessons actually. The biggest one is that adulthood is really not about age, it's way more about resources, It's way more about money. And as I tried to live independently, I started to see the need to have money. Which then bridged the connection. Uh, It bridged the connection for me to kind of start to work. And then I realized that I wasn't qualified for the jobs that I would have wanted to, that would have actually supported um, my pursuit of manhood. So uh, again, I dropped out at 17. um, I went back to school uh, around 19. Um, and then I, um, I went back, right back, to, I dropped off on the Burke. I went right back to the Burke. I did two more years, and I was actually motivated after that point, like I, I, I literally tried, um, and I graduated at 21, I had a gui- guidance counselor who told me that I was intelligent, that I was a college student, um, I didn't even think about college prior to that, um, but I decided to believe him, so I went on, like, I got a bachelor's, it took me about six years, but I got a bachelor's in, um, computer information system, mm-hmm. and then, uh, maybe about, what, about five years out now yeah I just got my MBA at Northeastern um, and I, I share that uh, how this relates to the work is I literally share this story um, with the students because again I didn't see myself doing what I do now it wasn't really a reality to me and and I say that to say that you know our students are very talented uh hmm. very smart very capable of doing a lot you know and and, and some of the and from their perspective, some of the decisions that they're making, and, and I, I, let me speak for myself here. My decision to stop school at the time was a rational one, hmm. right? It, it made sense uh, for the time, but it didn't make sense for my adult life. And so a lot of what we do is talk to, to young people about the future, right? What does what your life going to look like when you're 25? What do you want to have, right? And then sort of connecting the dots to what you need to do to ensure that you actually reach where you want to go, reach your goals. Right. Uh, right? And so that's a lot of what we do. No, Pierre
1: No, definitely. I think it's having the conversation of this is okay for you now, but what is it gonna look for you, like for you, when you know you've been working at the same place for six years and you're mm-hmm. not making any more money? And now, you know, maybe now you're having kids and the future or any of these things come into play and you're not ready for it because education, you know, you didn't finish education or your educational level. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have them relate, you know, what's happening now, but what's going to happen in the future? and have those serious conversations that not a lot of people have with them prior to kind of meeting at the reengagement center. It's more so this is mandatory, you need to do this. But they never hear the reasons why it's
0: important. You know, oftentimes there can be a lot of shame around, you know, dropping out of school and the, the want and the need to come back. Mm-hmm. So for students who are afraid or are feeling resistant, what words do you have for them?
2: I always say one is not too late. Um, and you know, it's funny, you don't really realize how young you are when you're that age, right? When you, you know, like I'm, I'm 46 now, so I can look back and like I'm at the age of death from when I was 17, because 46 year olds were just, I couldn't fathom that age. So the shame is high when, when if, if, the, if they're personal daughters that they messed up and really and really is something that you can kind of correct it's not too late for you to get back on track that's what i would say to to the families and the students that it, it is not too late for you to get back on track i did it um many i've watched i've been doing this work for about 15 years i've watched many students um, turn around i've had i've had students who are uh, thinking of one, one of my students jermaine hamilton just i'm thinking about him but he's actually a dean um at a charter school right now wow and 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 I, and i literally met with him uh my second year of doing this work so It's definitely not too late. You can definitely get back on track, right? It's it's about getting back on track um, and and then uh, charting out a plan and then working that plan.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about how long the re-engagement center has been around and the number of students who you've been able to help thus far?
2: I'll start then uh, hand off to Angie but um you know we've been doing this work for about 15 years we've been um the reengagement center itself is a partnership between the Boston Public Schools and the, and the Boston Private Industry Council um and we've been doing this work for about uh 15 years the reengagement center itself has been around for 13 years but this dropout recovery work that we've been doing um in collaboration for for 15 years
1: yeah um usually in a year um, obviously the year of the pandemic we didn't see as many students as we had hoped for right a lot of students you know stayed in school stayed in their home school they were trying to make it work we're doing classes online Um, but on average i think that the reengagement center um a year we can service anywhere from like 600 students Um, and those are the students you know that we would refer out to other schools um i personally have been doing this work for four years um and so i can only speak for the four years that i've been there but i think at that time i've definitely connected and seen students you know start refer them out and then see them in graduation and i think that is the best um kind of and the most rewarding to see in the work that we do when we we see a student that we referred who really didn't think they were going to make it and even when we were referring them out they would tell us like hey i don't i don't know if i'm going to be able to wake up every morning i don't know if i'm going to be able to make it to school every day and then seeing them cross that stage is like it's amazing
0: that's so great and and what does the support look like after that initial knock on the door or the meeting with the student
2: um there's a few there's a few steps to it so one the the our biggest goal our sweet spot is getting students to transition back into school to a path for graduation, but after our students graduate, um, again, the, the PIC is a workforce development board, so we're able to sort of transition them to kind of help them either do post-secondary uh, work or opportunities as well. So it's, and students, and often our students come back to work with us. So it's first getting them to graduation and then sort of connect, connect them to the, the second point in life, which we work with our partners to do that.
0: And there is an open door policy at the reengagement center. Your doors are open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. People can make appointments as well. Um, but for students who have dropped out of school or for the families who are in need of help, how can they reach out to you? Go
2: ahead, Angie.
1: Yeah, they can always call the reengagement center or come in. We are at 55 Malcolm X Boulevard. Um, building one, um, and they can walk in and say that they want to meet with a re-engagement specialist because they're ready to get back into school, want to hear their options, or they can always just give us a call at 617-635-CARE, um, and they can go ahead and set up an appointment and one of the reengagement specialists will help them out.
0: I'm pleased to end our night with a familiar face, Reverend Werner K. Walker. Reverend Walker is the program director of Communities Responding to Extreme Weather or Crew. He returns to discuss Crew's upcoming Climate Prep Week from September 24th through 30th. Here's our conversation. <laughs> We are here today to discuss Cruz' upcoming event, Climate Prep Week, which Mm -hmm. is taking place September 24th through the 30th. And for those of our viewers who may be unfamiliar, can you talk a little bit about what Climate uh, Prep Week is and the kickoff event that you'll be doing for the International Day of Peace?
3: Yes, thank you so much for asking. So uh, Climate Prep Week is an event a week of events organized uh, by communities responding to extreme weather or crew and we encourage uh, other organizations to hold their own event for their community to raise the awareness uh, about climate change to their community members and also how people can prepare for extreme weather that hits that local community or that's expected to hit that local community whether that's droughts or floods or heat waves or severe winter storms etc mm-hmm. uh interesting note that September is actually national preparedness month and the reason that Climate Prep Week was uh, is situated in uh, September is to follow the national uh, the national theme of, of Preparedness Month mm. uh, and Climate Prep Week has been around since 2018 uh, and it is one of our uh, hallmark events throughout the year uh, that Crew hosts uh, and for the event that you mentioned uh, Cooperative Metropolitan Ministries is pitting on that event uh, virtual event. Uh, and I have the privilege of being able to be there uh, virtually to talk, to talk about uh, ending racism and building peace and how that connects to climate change and being resilient in the face of extreme weather.
0: Mm, that's great, and I love how it's all interconnected. Uh, so as you said, you've been hosting the event since 2018. This year's theme is the planet's health in yours, facing the invisible impacts of climate change. What can attendees expect from this year's workshops?
3: Well, we have a range of events with uh, different uh, experts and uh, community organizations uh, that will for attendees that will enlighten and share knowledge about not only what organizations are doing about climate change, Mm -hmm. but also the weather that we are expected to see, the the extreme weather that we're expected to see. So for instance, we have an event around extreme heat, Uh, we have an event around sea level rise, Uh, and also, and it is important to note, that climate change does, does not affect the United States alone. Uh, it also affects and country, uh, neighboring countries, mm-hmm. uh, such as Cuba. We have an event uh, with the, the director of the Climate Change Department uh, from uh, the government of Cuba. Wow. and we're really uh, delighted to uh, do all these events. and so so many more, so much, so many more events that we have. Uh, and we are excited about uh, this year uh, because this year is a pivotal year as we are seeing uh, places overseas that are experiencing severe flooding. We're seeing places like Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, that are suffering a water crisis. crisis. Uh, And it's important to note that uh, climate change is just not some far distant Isolated phenomenon, but is intersectional and is interconnected to racial justice, housing justice, immigrant justice, economical justice, etc. So that's really what we're hoping to communicate uh, during this year's Climate Prep Week. And we hope attendees walk away with knowledge that empowers them to be ready when the next extreme weather event hits their community.
0: Excellent. And in addition to those workshops that you mentioned, uh, another component for this year's conversations, there is a, a talk on Friday the 30th, uh, Mental Health in a Changing Climate. So this talk is um, exploring the toll that it's taking on our minds as mm-hmm. we witness these extreme weather events happen. Why was it important for CREW to include this in this year's conversations?
3: Well, climate change can be stressful. And it could be stressful and taxing, not only on one's physical body, but also one's mental health. And we at Crew did not want to be ignorant of the fact that a lot of people are suffering from climate anxiety. A lot of people are, having, are experiencing trepidation when extreme weather hits their community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're excited to be joined by uh, Dr. Elizabeth Pinsky, Pl- who's a child psychologist here in the Boston area. We're also excited to be joined by James Reck uh, who's a uh, psychiatrist uh, in, uh, this, in the Boston area. Mm-hmm. And we're also doing it at the Somerville Community Baptist Church, a uh, community of faith right in Somerville uh, rooted in the community. And we are excited about this. And it will be a hybrid event uh, for mm-hmm. folks who don't want to come in person or who don't feel comfortable coming in person or who may be traveling. We do have a Zoom link for people to register and to log on. And we just think that mental health cannot be divorced from uh, facing climate change. Because, as we mentioned, climate change does cause, for for some, a great level of high anxiety and trepidation and fearfulness. And we want to be able to address that in a constructive manner and share with people best practices uh, how to face. Extreme weather uh, from a mental health standpoint
0: mm. it's definitely a very very thoughtful aspect of uh, this year's talks and for our viewers who are interested in taking uh, and for our viewers who are interested in taking part in this year's climate prep week or um, supporting your efforts how can they do so
3: yes uh, viewers can log uh, can google www.climatecrew.org. Uh, and they will find our website and they can or they can google climate uh, prep week 2022 at and uh, and at climate crew and they can find our website and we have a a litany of events Uh, we are excited about them and we also have a lot of partners that we're working with this year Mm -hmm. Uh, we're blessed to work with libraries and faith institutions etc which builds on the years that we have previously done Climate Prep Week, we work with our partners uh, that, uh, organizational partners that are in the community and serving uh, their local community and, and doing good in their local community. Uh, so we're really excited and elephant happy that we're able to work with so many uh, organizational partners to broadcast the message uh, that uh, this year is the year that we ought to think about not only the planet's health, and our health, but we ought to think about them together and how can we preserve and protect both.
0: Um, Definitely, elephant happy to have you here today. Uh, So thank you so much for your time today, Program Director Reverend Walker. Uh, We look forward to your event and hope that as many people can uh, participate as possible.
3: That sounds good, glad to be here, Faith, and uh, really uh, appreciate the good work that BNN is doing here.
0: Thanks for tuning in, Boston. As a reminder, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, RCN Channel, no longer. It is now Astound Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. For BNN News, I'm Faith Mathedon.